Hello, and welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And Damien, you are up this week. Yes, sir. What are you bringing to the table today? Absolutely. All right. So today I have brought an article to the table, this here table that we are sitting at, uh, for us to talk about. Uh, Excellent. The, good. The article is called, Democrats Can't Be Counted On to Stop the MAGA Right, So Socialists Are Stepping Up. Mm. Uh, it was written by Christian Hernandez, who is the chair of the National Political Committee as part of Democratic Socialists of America, which is the largest socialist organization in the country. Uh, I'm sure we might talk about that organization a little bit today at some point. Probably. Um, but uh, this piece was actually published back on November 17th. Happy birthday, Dad. Uh, in the <laughs> aftermath of the midterm elections by our friends over at In These Times magazine. Uh, so if you haven't read it yet, you can head over there on their website and check out this, this great article, um, which I think took an in-depth look at the outcomes of the midterm elections in terms of who got elected in some key places and races across the country, some of the ballot measures that got passed. Um, and all of the campaigning and organizing and work that went into the outcomes of the midterms. Um, and then in addition to that, Christian explored what these results mean and what Democrats need to do now to seize upon that momentum to fight against the other side and continue to push for real change in this country. So um, I thought this was a really good thought piece and an exploration of where we need to go from here, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I'm super excited to chat with you about it today. So yeah, yeah. where do you want to start? What's that out to you? Yeah, I love the perspective of this article. I yeah. think this is um, this is like a, a version of what I've been thinking about since Trump announced his run for president. Mm. Um, because I think too many folks who are in sort of the establishment in the in the um, you know they're in power in some form or fashion, um, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, they're treating Trump. Uh, and his politics as if they're normal, as if, as if they're not outside outside of the bounds yes. of, of what we consider um, to be acceptable yes. um, politically. And so they're ignoring the fascist tendencies and uh, the demagoguery. Mm -hmm. They're uh, letting the debate de be dictated by the far right, um, who are starting the debate by telling us falsehoods. Um, about you know just making stuff up whether yes, that's literally. um elections being stolen or um the so-called dangers of trans people mm -hmm. um and so it's all this kind of uh culture war nonsense we've talked which we've talked about on the show before um which they're using to drive wedges and, and separate us as people um from one another so they can hoard power for themselves and put policies in place that benefit themselves yes um, like tax breaks um mm -hmm. um so, you know, uh, another billionaire can buy another social media outlet and burn it to the ground oh, for funsies. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's too real. <laughs> yeah. Well, I made that up. Is that real? Is what? That <laughs> uh, Welcome to the horror movie, folks. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think what this article is getting at is super important. Yes. Um, we can't treat these 
politics from um, the MAGA right as part of the mainstream. We have to hold on to the truth that this is fringe and fascist. We have to change the course of the conversation by actually promoting policies that expand the rights of all people, whether that's, um, you know, abortion or um, protections um, for LGBTQ folks for um, or for supporting workers' demands, um, like what the Democrats could have done this week with railroad workers. Yeah. Uh, so that's the that's the piece for me, um, or where I kind of wanted to start. Like I just think the the article is so um, good and points to this kind of. Um, a trend, I guess, or, or yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that we're seeing absolutely mm-hmm. right, and and great tie in connection to what we're seeing literally right now, uh, with the railroad railroad workers. Uh, say that ten times fast, mm-hmm. um, and I think you're right, you know. And she does a great job in thinking about and getting us to think about um, and pointing out the the need to push against right, not just having to treat these politics as not part of the mainstream and and as you say the the truth is fringe and fascist but right pushing against these individuals right Um, and who they are and what they stand for Um, absolutely yeah there's so much that was powerful and and great about this piece and her perspective and you know i think one of the things that stood out to me is just how much it seems like our elections are always such a fight and mm. and a battleground because of that divisiveness that is just so pervasive in our politics, right? Like, you know, she talked about the threats and the attacks on our democracy in this piece. And, you know, it made me think about all the conversations we've had here about democracy and, yeah. and our elections and, and the ways in which issues of social justice and, and collective liberation have been such a focal point for these attacks, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and people's humanity, as you mentioned, right? And so I appreciated Christian Hernandez's thoughts around what's needed in response to what we're seeing. And so one of the quotes that I pulled was this, she says, it is the job of socialists to oppose this threat while also resisting other attacks on the integrity of democratic elections. We need to actively build out a mass base and broad coalitions that can fight back and protect our wins. This kind of organizing, collective working class self-defense is the only long-term solution to rising fascism And it's found in union halls, in workplaces, in schools, in social movements, and in moments of mass mobilization. Mm -hmm. We grow our power by strengthening working class institutions outside of election cycles to rebuild civic life and trust with our neighbors. I mean, like spot on, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, think about the ways that like political campaigns the amount of money we're spending on political campaigns like you know wouldn't matter if we had these kind of working class institutions outside of the election cycle right like absolutely like oh um herschel walker spent however many millions Millions. of dollars on tv ads no one cares because there's no runoff because he lost by a landslide absolutely because these working class institutions pointed out all the ways that it doesn't make any sense he's not the one um so yeah i i i I love that quote thanks for pulling that out absolutely Um, one of the things that i found and i highlighted um and if it was uh if I had it on paper, I probably I would have highlighted it and then like underlined it with a pen and then like written something in the margins. Yes. Um, okay. When people feel isolated and powerless, social movement groups must advance policy at the local and state level that centers working class interests to show what a difference these policies can make in people's lives. 
For example, for example, our chapters in Washington, D.C., Illinois, and Maine engaged, engaged in hard-fought campaigns to win ballot initiatives, mandating a more dignified minimum wage for tipped workers, protecting workers' rights to collectively bargain, and expanding tenant protections, respectively. Alongside sustained organizing, these wins can help rebuild confidence in political alternatives and provide a pathway to bring more working people into the larger fight against capitalism. Amazing. And I think this is spot on for a few reasons. The yeah. first is that social movement groups are where we are, I think, most frequently seeing policy advances. Yes. Um, by them offering policy ideas mm -hmm. um, out of their membership, out and of their, their organization. experiences, right? Yeah. People's real experiences. Absolutely. Um, you know, whether that's what's mentioned here of DSA groups pushing for ballot initiatives for increasing minimum wage or things like the Breathe Act, which was mm. put forth by the Movement for Black Lives. Yeah. Um, so these groups are creating sustained policy initiatives that then they're trying to find allies in, um, you know, state, local, federal um levels to then implement and put them on the floor and yes. um, do what they can get them on ballots um, right absolutely yeah um so we can have groups organized to put these progressive policy ideas forward and then if we can't get them on the floor we can get them on the ballot um, and organize for them to win there yeah um and this article moves on from that point um, that I just quoted to say, these victories showcase the potential of ballot measures to not just protect, but expand abortion rights in the wake of the Supreme Court's disastrous decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, and a little bit of context, because I should have pulled more out from the article than that. They're talking about Kansas and Kentucky um, and a few other states um, that recently rejected ballot measures um, that would have further banned yes. uh, and infringed upon abortion, uh, access to abortion. Um, and so the, the point is, like, these are, these are solid victories, and maybe we can do what the right has been doing by putting these things on ballots the other way, where yes. we're now protecting, right? And some of those things won this past cycle, too. Yes. Um, so I think that's true for abortion rights, but it also might be a possible template for expanding progressive policies in places where the far right are in control of like the state legislatures or what have you. Is it like, well, let's cut them out and bring it to the people and see what the people say and then organize, yes. organize like hell around it. Absolutely. Know? Right. And I think there's so much work that she does in this piece to point out like the idea of these progressive politics and these policies. And it's what we're seeing over and over again, it's what people actually want. It's mm -hmm. what people actually need um, for the betterment of their lives, right? And so um, I, I love those quotes as well and sort of the work to acknowledge what DSA and 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 lots of organizers and um, activists and folks engaged in this work have been doing in their communities, um, pushing for policy uh, to make real change. Um, yeah. So, um, Great, great connection there. And certainly the the examples that we have seen in places like Kentucky, right, as we think about the aftermath of Roe v. Wade and all of that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's powerful to see it, right? It's powerful to see that that work made a difference, yeah. right, in places yeah. like that. Um, and that's the way we need to go. I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, you started this conversation talking about uh, Donald Trump. And I think the one of the big things that stood out to me in this piece was just the idea that 
people like Donald Trump and, and Ron DeSantis, you know, who she mentions in this piece, they're not going anywhere, right? Like, no. even despite the fact that, you know, this man lost this election and is just still hanging around and still denying the results <laughs> of this election and, and Biden has been president for how long now? I mean, mm-hmm. I just, it's kind of wild, right? And, you know, there's all this rhetoric and and right wing backing around his refusal to accept the results of that election, right? Um, and so, and we've seen that in so many other elections and so many other places across the country, not just, you know, the presidential election. So um, one of the things I pulled out and, you know, one of the um, points that Christian Hernandez makes here is that Democrats have to recognize that when this is the kind of st- that when this is the kind of stuff that's happening, right? Um, you have to realize, and I'm I'm quoting her here, that things won't simply return to normal. Yep. Right. And yeah. and and that's so true, right? Because we're seeing it. We're seeing that that's the case. It's not mm-hmm. going anywhere, right? And so, how do we pursue strategies and organizing that organizing that will actually work, right? How are we listening to real people and and the voters that, as I sort of said at the top of this, like are supporting more progressive policies and candidates. And we need more of that, right? Because mm. there's so much at stake now, right? Yeah. Yeah, there is. I think um, I think that has felt like one of the weird um, and large mistakes that the like Democrats have made yes. is that, well, it will just, we'll keep on keeping on. Yeah, um, we're gonna do what we do, um, not effectively, huh. and it does like, and then things will things will return back um, to normal, and it's like, well, like let's name all the ways that that president, that administration, those election cycles, like how all of that wasn't really normal, right? And you know, it, it's. Um, and then what what do we do to like respond to those things in the way that it was normal? Um, because there has to be some kind of like there has to be accountability for being outside of of the bounds of like what's acceptable in a system. And so far, there haven't really been absolutely any. well. And even too, even if we can accept the fact that that was out of bounds, we're left with the legacy and the impact of it all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so even if you know the the Trump were to disappear we're left with the legacy of his four years and his administration right. and the Stephen Millers of it all, right? And the policy and the the everything. We're left with it, right? So we mm-hmm. have to deal with it. Yeah, there. Ha- I'm, I think that's, there has to be a total rejection of it. So even if he, like, I don't know, what, was no longer involved at all in, in whatever form or fashion that might take, um, you're right. Like, there's still that legacy and that's, the the legacy, the history that we have to tell has to be told. Yes. And in some ways it's not happening. Like I think the January 6th commission is doing a good job of entering those things into the record and yes. creating a history of what happened on that day. And like let's talk about the four years that preceded that mm-hmm. uh, and what, what were all of those things that happened and um, how were they – how how were they allowed to happen? Yeah, and then how do we prevent those things from happening in the like next time around? Um, yeah, we because, need all of that. Uh, like you know, people talk about DeSantis as if he is like a sort of better version of Trump. He is Oof. just he's just Trump 
in like a, a, a better fitting suit with a nicer haircut, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's all, you know, facade. Like he, his policies in so many ways match up exactly. Absolutely. And I think that he would, if in power, do almost the exact same things. And, you know, if we had a process by which we were holding Trump and his administration accountable for the things that he did that we consider to be unacceptable, he, DeSantis would not be able to move forward. Absolutely. Right? Like, and so, um, yeah, I, and I know that it sounds, you know, political, like specifically around Democrats and Republicans. And, oh, but it's not. But it's so far beyond that. Yeah. And I think that's one of the tools that's happening here in the conversation, not here at our in our conversation, <laughs> but like in the broader conversation is like, well, that's just partisan politics. It's like, no, that wasn't partisan politics. That That's not what it was, right? right. Like we weren't arguing about policy. <laughs> he was making fun of a disabled reporter right like on like no that right. that's not the same that's thing out of bounds um so you know another piece i had from highlighted from the article was um, this we quote we now face an increasingly dangerous republican party captured by the same far-right forces taking power across the globe and normalizing their hate through mainstream and social media they demonize collective responsibility and public health and reframe their barbarity as freedom. The right will only continue to escalate their violence by chipping away at the hard-won rights of working class. Yes. And I love this analysis because it speaks to what I was just talking about. It calls out how the Republican Party has abandoned any sense of decency, any sense of connection to or for regular people. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, to be fair... Uh, Democrats aren't doing a great job of that either um, with pursuing policies for regular people. So yeah. there there's is. that too. Yeah. Um, but they're closer to it. Yes. Right. And so I think if we're thinking of things on a spectrum, like yeah. that's, yeah. I certainly um, wouldn't use the word barbaric, right? Yeah. Uh, as yeah. Christian did here. And, yeah. Um, so the constant centering, the, the right wing's constant centering of radical individualism beyond any kind of collective really pushes us to focus only on what's good for us as, as one person or maybe, you know, the closest people that we know and doesn't give us space to consider how our own liberation, our own rights, our own humanity is connected to the people around us Absolutely. and the people who aren't around us. Yes. Um, and how we have so much to win when we join together with others. I love that. I yeah. absolutely do. And I appreciate the connection to sort of what I had talked about and this, this idea that it isn't really at all about Republican versus Democrat versus anything. Um, yeah. It really is about how are you <laughs> as a, as a leader connected to the humanity of people you are charged with representing, right? Mm -hmm. And you are charged with trying to um, help live a free and full life right yeah. and there are some folks who just aren't doing that um at all so yeah this mm -hmm. this piece was just there's so much in it i mean we pulled so many quotes there yeah. <laughs> from this yeah. piece i mean it's so good absolutely um all right well let's shift here a little bit and talk about application like how sure. are we going to connect the dots here between this conversation that we're having and, and this article to our our daily lives um i think when i think about potential application, I am compelled by what Christian Hernandez talked about in this piece around the importance and need for building lasting movements for, yeah. for social justice, right? Um, when I think about 
all we've talked about, all that's in this piece, all of the incredibly dangerous rhetoric and legislation and policies and Supreme Court decisions and and divisiveness and, and the like, and we've talked about so many of those things here at the table, uh, the what the impact of all of that has been on real people, yeah. right, is yeah. kind of, it's hard to fathom um, in so many ways. And I think Christian is absolutely correct. Like we have to be and remain focused on the work that's necessary to fight for the world we want to see. And and as she said, build lasting movements for social justice, right? I think mm. it's the only way, and there's so many examples that she provided in this piece about how that work has succeeded. Um, yeah. It's the only way we're going to get there. So yeah, that's part mm-hmm. of my thinking is that we need these lasting movements uh, for social we justice. Do. Yeah. I think my application is, um, I think related to that, I think it's it's about how we're all connected. Yeah. Um, and I've said something like this before and it continues to be true. Um, so I don't feel bad repeating myself. Absolutely not. But this is why we talk about collective liberation yes. on the podcast. That's why it's it's written into what we say every week, uh, because we have so much to gain by learning how we can work together, um, you know, in social movement. And I think social movement can seem big and lofty, but it doesn't have to be. Not at all. Um, right. Like, what are these working class institutions that are helping all of us? like helping lift all of us up. Um, yeah. So I, our lives improve collectively when, when everyone's rights are expanded. Um, it can't just be about looking out for ourselves because then we won't actually be able to move forward. We'll Correct. all be stuck arguing for our own little corner, um, our own little piece of the pie without realizing that when we share our sort of collective power, um, we can all win more. Um, for Absolutely. ourselves and um, I mean ourselves in the broadest sense YouTube. possible, not in the like microcosm sense. I love it. I love any connection and conversation around why collective liberation is important. So thanks mm-hmm. for bringing that um, mm-hmm. up here. Absolutely. Um, all right. What do we want to do for homework when we leave this table? That's a good question. Um, I, I think one of the things I want to do is I want to spend some more time learning about the Democratic Socialist of America as as an organization and and some of their advocacy and work and and they have lots of resources on their website mm. um, and so I'm sure there's probably some good stuff there to learn from um, and so I want to spend some time doing that the the other thing I've been thinking about especially as it was mentioned a lot in this piece is just to spend some more time diving into and learning more about workers rights issues right mm-hmm. and and collective bargaining issues and and labor unions and these sort of connected issues and and movements um, I think there's um, and I'm naming this for myself. I think there's a lot that I don't know about the history and evolution of these issues. Sure. Um, and so I think there's a lot that I can learn here. And that's certainly there's uh, clear connections to uh, social justice, right, and, and collective liberation and, and the issues we talk about and we care about here. So yeah. um, that's some work um, on a personal level that I want to do. Mm, um, how about yeah. you? Um, I think so. My homework for this week is similar. I think learning more about the Democratic Socialists of America makes a lot of sense, particularly as we can continue to learn about how uh, we can support maybe policy proposals or ballot initiatives Mm -hmm. that they put forth. Um, 
and maybe also pay attention to how they can help push the Democrats to be more progressive. Yeah. Um, I think the other homework that I'll, I'll say is um, related to homework I've said in the past. It's, um, you know, if we're talking about these working class institutions in our um, in our lives that help connect us beyond the election cycle, what do those look like and yeah. how do we get connected to those? Mm. So like looking around, um, finding like, you know, organizing homes, so to speak, mm. for, for yourself um, so that you can be engaged and pulled into something um, between, you know, voting. Yes. Um, between uh, the election cycles and um, find ways to look out for and be in community with and in movement with um, other people, whether that's in your neighborhood or you join some group online or like what have you. Right. Um, I think that that's um, a key aspect here um, beyond just like whatever DSA might be doing. Um, there's a lot of other things happening out in the uh, in the world around us. That's some good stuff. Yeah. I love it. Very good. All right, we got some good homework uh, mm-hmm. to leave this table with. Very good. And hopefully you do too, listening to us. Um, all right, Aaron. Well, with that, you're up next time in our next episode. Yeah. So what are you going to bring to the table for us? Yeah, so I'm bringing an article from um, the magazine Mother Jones. Oh, it's nice. called How the Story of Soccer Became the Story of Everything. Mm. And the subtitle is Oligarchs, Private Equity Moguls, and Petrostates Took Over the Sport and the world. Wow. Yes. Um, and so I thought it was appropriate to talk about this in the context of the World Cup as yeah. it's uh, ongoing now uh, as we record this um, and the the human rights abuses of migrant workers who were employed to build the stadiums for this World Cup, uh, the anti-LGBTQ laws they have on the books in Qatar. Um, so, you know, I think it would be um, great to read this cover story and reflect on how much soccer has been taken over globally yes by money um and is driven so much by like the dollar yes well and i mean wow. know, currency currency yeah. that's yeah absolutely i mean there's there's so much that's disturbing about um how the world cup came to be in Qatar mm. um, and the stories that we've heard um, along the way to get us to where we are. But I love the idea of this piece and I have not read it at all, but just the title and the the subtitle that you bring. I mean, there's so much about the rich history of soccer and as a sport and its impact on the world that um, I think there's a lot to learn from yeah. this. Um, yeah. uh, and as a, as a soccer fan, I'm excited to sort of read uh, this and sort of interrogate what that might mean um, for us moving forward. So I'm super thrilled. And uh, Mother Jones does some really great work. Mm-hmm. So yeah. super excited about this. Very yeah. good. So thanks for bringing that. I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. And with that, we want to thank you for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. Uh, you know what I'm going to ask you to do, but in case you've forgotten, please follow, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with everyone you know, follow us on social media, uh, sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you next week. 